The stories in this book have been told and retold, cherished and revered by literally billions of people over thousands of years. People have devoted their entire lives to studying this book. There are hundreds of thousands of commentaries on it. And many people believe that this book had to have been written by God. The Torah, what's so special about it? Why is it so mesmerizing? And how has it managed to capture the human imagination for millennia? I'm David Kasher, a rabbi at Ikar in Los Angeles, and together we're going to study the weekly Torah portion of the Parsha and figure out why the Torah really is the best book ever. Behold, the mighty Metatron! <laughs> you like my grand opening there? Okay, are you ready for some straight-up heresy? Because this week we're going to look at an idea that seems so far outside mainstream Jewish thought that if I came up with it myself, they'd kick me right out of Judaism. But the great thing is, this week, it's not me saying it, it's Rashi. Okay, let's back up. Now, after all the epic drama of the Exodus, we have arrived at the section of the Torah that starts to get heavy, heavy into laws. Parshat Mishpatim, which literally means laws, so no surprise there. And after the glory of the Ten Commandments last week, with all of their noble ethical pronouncements like, Thou shalt not kill, and honor thy father and thy mother, we now arrive at a complicated list of 53 laws that cover everything from freeing slaves to keeping kosher. So there's a lot to say and a lot that has been said about every single one of these laws, but we're just going to skip over all of that for now. Because it's just at the moment when the list of laws ends that things start to get a little wild. It's right after being told not to cook a kid in its mother's milk the last law on the list, that we suddenly read this. Behold, says God, I am sending an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have made ready. Pay heed to him and obey him. Do not defy him, for he will not pardon your offenses, for my name is in him. Kishmi bekirbo. Wow. Now, that is pretty heady stuff all on its own. Where, where is this angel coming from? And why does he have so much power and seem so menacing? And wait, do we, do we really believe in angels anyway? But you know what? It's not that mind-blowing. We, we have seen angels before in the Torah. It's not a new concept. And they specifically tend to guide people on their way. So that also fits. In fact, the word for angel in Hebrew, malach, is the same as the word for messenger. So really an angel can just be thought of as an emissary sent to deliver God's message. It's a bit fantastic, sure, but it's not that far out there. But then we take a look at Rashi. It says, for my name is in him. Our rabbi said, Rashi quotes, this is Metatron whose name is like his master's. Wait, excuse me? 
Metatron. Now, first of all, that's a cool name, although I keep confusing it with Megatron from the Transformers, the supreme leader of the Decepticons. But, okay, more to the point, who who is this? Who the heck is Metatron? And, and how can this possibly be a Jewish figure? Because I know we said we were dealing with an angel here, but this sort of sounds like another god to me. Well, before we freak out on Rashi, let's remember that he specifically said this in the name of our rabbis. In other words, the rabbis of the Talmud. So let's go look at what they have to say. Okay, this is from the Talmud in Tractate Sanhedrin. Once a heretic said to Rabbi Edith, it is written, and to Moses God said, come up to the Lord. But surely it should have said, come up to me. In other words, why would God be speaking about coming up to God in the third person? And the Talmud answers, it was Metatron, he replied, whose name is similar to that of his master. For it is written, for my name is in him. Okay, there's our verse that we were looking at at the end there, and this is the passage that Rashi is citing, but it doesn't really help answer the question, who, who is this Metatron? And actually, the next thing the heretic asks in the Talmud is the obvious question. If all of that is true, and there's a Metatron, then we should worship him. If Metatron acts on God's behalf and uses God's name, isn't he like a god? Now, all of this is very provocative stuff for a religion known for monotheism. So what's going on here? Well, another passage in the Talmud takes up the problem. It describes what it was that caused Elisha ben Abuya, a great rabbi who famously lost his faith, what it was that caused him to stop believing. In a vision of the celestial realm, he sees this. He saw that permission was granted to Metatron to sit and write down the merits of Israel. He said, It is taught as a tradition that on high there is no sitting, no crowding, no turning one's back, and no slouching. Perhaps then, oh, have mercy, perhaps there are two divinities? So they led Metatron forth and punished him with sixty fiery lashes saying to him, why didn't you rise when you saw God? Okay, so that's Tractate Chagiga, and here's our buddy Metatron again, apparently sitting down next to God, and not only that, but writing out judgments for the people of Israel. And Elisha ben Abuya cites a technicality. Generally, you're not allowed to sit down in God's presence. So, maybe this is a God. But really, his basic question is, why are there two beings here at all? And he thinks it must be that that means there are two gods. And then it seems like the way that Talmud proves otherwise is to give Metatron lashes, which, of course, you couldn't do if he was a god. But that doesn't really solve the problem, because the problem is, what is this Metatron doing up there anyway? Who is he? And why does he get to sit next to God? I mean, the problem is that there is a Metatron at all, and that he acts like a god and uses God's name. The problem is that 
Alicia's right. This looks an awful lot like there are two gods. And that idea is literally the biggest heresy possible in Jewish theology. So what is it doing in the Talmud? Well, another great master of Parshanut, of Torah interpretation, the Ramban, that's Rabbi Moses Nachmanides of 13th century Spain, he comes along and, and kind of saves the day with his commentary on that same verse we started with. Now, one thing to know about the Ramban is that he was a Kabbalist and believed that the Torah was encoded with secrets that weren't obvious on the first read. So whenever he gets ready to reveal one of these secrets to us, he uses the phrase, on the path of truth, meaning, if you come with me on the path of truth, I will tell you a deep secret. Okay, so are you ready for the secret? Here goes. Al on the path of truth. The angel that is being promised to us here is the same one mentioned by Jacob as the angel who redeems, Hamalach HaGoel, in whom the great name resides. And the Torah calls it an angel because all of the acting in the world is done through this attribute. And our rabbi said that this is Metatron, that is, the name given to the force that guides us on the road. Okay, th this is not so clear. Mystical secrets rarely are, I suppose. So let's see if we can do a little unpacking here. Exodus is a story about God coming into the world and doing all kinds of things for people. But that doesn't really make sense. God is lofty and unknowable and beyond any concrete description we could associate with specific action in this world. The point is, it's theologically problematic to say we can actually see and describe God acting right in front of us in the world. And yet, we do. That's one of the recurring messages of the Torah, that God can enter the world and intervene in human history. So when this happens, says the Ramban, the Torah sometimes uses the concept of an angel to describe it. God's attribute of acting in the world is God's angelic attribute. And Metatron is the name the rabbis give for this aspect of God. Now, this turns the whole heresy on its head. Because at first it looks like the concept of Metatron is an offense to the idea that God should be the one doing the acting here. But it turns out that the personified interventionist god of action that we read about in the Torah, that's what's actually problematic. That, in a sense, is the real heresy. Because God can't really be like that. God is beyond human conception. God's essence is unknowable. So, Metatron solves the problem. It's not actually God doing it. It's God's angel, Metatron. And if that's true, then Metatron isn't a heresy Metatron is what keeps us from heresy. But wait, doesn't that still take us back to square one? If Metatron is acting like a god, and we experience Metatron as a god, isn't that really the same thing as being a god? Just like the heretic said above, why, why don't we just worship Metatron? Or, conversely, if god acting in the world isn't the true god, 
Why worship the God of the Torah at all? Well, that's where we need the idea that Metatron carries God's name. Because what this means is that they're really one and the same. And the contradiction only exists in our minds. How can God be imminent if God is transcendent? How can God reveal to Moses that God is coming to redeem us if God is completely unknowable? These questions seem real and difficult to us. But on the path of truth, as the Ramban would say, all such contradictions are resolved. God is somehow both imminent and transcendent, wholly unknowable and right there in front of us. We experience God as an angel, or an angel as God, but really the angel is just a manifestation of God. There are no two, there's only one. I'll close then with the Orachayim, a great 18th century Moroccan commentator who says all of this far more poetically than I just did. He says, the explanation of this angel is that it is the same angel who redeemed our forefathers. Not a minor angel, but a great one, as is known to the enlightened. For we do not recognize an intermediary angel. Rather, the Blessed One and the presence of God's power are united, mityacheret, in the secret of God is one and God's name is one. Hashem echad ushamo echad. Best Book Ever was produced by Ben Cooley and edited by Vera Blossom, and our theme song is Pitrouli by Hillel Tigay. You can listen to more of his beautiful music on iTunes and Spotify. And while you're there, why not subscribe to Best Book Ever if you haven't already. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and our work, you can visit us at ecar.org and donate or Venmo us at ecarla. That's I-K-A-R-L-A. Thanks a lot and see you next week. Thank you.